You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Psalm 136. That's on page 626 in the church Bible. Psalm 136. Let me read our text for us this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembered us in our lower state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Let me pray as we begin. Our great God and our Father, we thank you for your word. As we look at your word this morning, may you incline our hearts to it and to nothing else. May you open our eyes to see wonderful things as we read your word. May you unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. And we ask this morning, may you speak to us, for your servants are listening. And we ask these things in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Sometimes when we're preparing Bible studies and talks, you need to work quite hard at what's the big point in the passage. I think Psalm 136 is a bit clearer for us today. It's that the Lord's love endures forever. And as we see in the psalm, it's love unlike our love. 
It's a love that is consistently and forever the same. We see a love that initiates, a love which acts, and a love which always unfailingly brings about a response. And that's perhaps how the psalm was perhaps originally sung in the first place. The priest reading the first line, a thankful reciting of the ways in which the people of Israel have seen the manifesting of this unchanging love. And then the response of the people, his love endures forever. Let's get stuck into the psalm. There's four points uh, in this text. Well, sort of three slash four. First, obviously, give thanks to the Lord for his love revealed in who he is, verses one to three. Then we see give thanks to the Lord for his love revealed in what he has done. First off, in creation, then salvation. And then finally, give thanks to the Lord for his love revealed in what he continues to do. And we see that at the end of the psalm. So let's have a look at these first three verses in the psalm. And notice straight away this call from the psalmist to give thanks to God. Give him thanks. And actually it's richer than that. It's this idea of acknowledge, confess that he is God. And why are we called to do that? For he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The psalmist isn't saying that God is comparable to good. He's not saying that he's similar to good. He's not even saying that the Lord does good. Although that is true. He is saying that the Lord is good. He is our very definition of what good is. In other words, if we want to know what good is, what good looks like, we look to him for he is good. And his love endures forever. But what is is it about God that means that he is good? Not simply that he does good, And what is it that for all eternity past, he did good. For all eternity future, he will do good. And the same with his love. What is it about God's love? How can that also endure forever? What is it about the person of God that means that this is true of him and nobody else? Well, it's because we worship the one true God, the triune God, three persons of one substance, power and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If God wasn't Trinity, he simply couldn't be good. He couldn't say that about himself because there'd be no one for him to be good to for all eternity past. If God was not Trinity, there'd be no one for him to love for all eternity. But because he is Trinity, he is good and has been good and will be good. Because for all eternity, we have the Father, Son, and Spirit loving one another, doing good with one another, and being defined by their love for one another. God's love can endure forever because God's love has always been because he is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no other God who is love. There's no other God who can make this claim. There's no other God who is truly good. Give thanks to God for he is good. We can be confident of that because of who he is. Give thanks to God for he is God of gods, verse two. That he is Lord of lords, verse three. Not only does this good God who forever has been good, whoever will be good, not only does he exist, but he reigns. He's the God of gods. He reigns without rival in the spiritual realm. 
And he's the Lord of lords. He reigns without rival in the physical realm. There is nobody who compares to this God we read of in the scriptures. He is without equal. And these opening verses here really lay the foundation for the rest of the psalm. For as we remember his character, we see his deeds in greater clarity. For his deeds are a result of who he is. They show to us, reveal to us who he is. Give thanks to God for he is good. He is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And his love endures forever. Before we move on into the rest of the psalm, let's quickly pull into a lay-by. Because I think it's quite interesting the way we, uh, the psalm is structured. See, what, what we have in these opening verses and throughout the psalm, and actually in all of Scripture, is a lesson in praising God. What we see is a true statement about God leading to results in praise of God. We see that correct theology of God fuels doxology to God. Our understanding of God results in praise to God. And it's really important that we have both of those things. If we have correct understanding of God, which doesn't lead to praise of God, then we've given God our, our heads, but not our hearts. We just have cold orthodoxy, which doesn't change any of our lives. Or if we have doxology, praise of God, which isn't fueled by correct theology, understanding of God, then what we end up with is idolatry. We praise a God which isn't a God we read of in the scriptures. And what we see in this psalm is a masterclass of praising God, right understanding of God leading to praise of God. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love revealed in who he is. And then 4 to 25, give thanks to the Lord who reveals his love to us in what he has done. First off, in creation. Have a look at verse 4. I love this verse. To him who alone does great wonders. What an introduction. Give thanks to him alone who does great wonders. And just dwell as to how great these wonders are. That without assistance at all, are you ready for this? Verse 4, he created the heavens with skill. He stretched out and spread the earth above the waters. He made the great lights, the sun and the moon to rule and have dominion over the day and night. His deeds are truly awesome. I've got a degree in civil engineering. And when we bought our daughter's pram, I couldn't make it without my wife's help. So I read this and I think this is amazing what he has done. I just love this visual language the psalmist uses. He created the heavens with skill, understanding, definition. He stretched out and spread the earth above the waters like a baker spreading their dough across a bench. He made the great lights, the sun and the moon to rule and have dominion over the day and the night. He is the God of gods. For he created everything, no one else. He ordered it all. And this great act of creation, well, it's an act of his love, an overflow of his love. And so as we explore it, as we enjoy his creation, 
we also explore and enjoy his enduring love. And notice it isn't just the physical creation, but the heavens as well. In verse 5, an act of God's love. He made the heavens above and below so that we may know his love. As one commentator says on this psalm, that it invites the Christian not to wrangle over cosmological theories, but to delight in his environment. Known to him as no mere mechanism, but a work of steadfast love. No unbeliever has grounds for any such quality of joy. That means that we can climb a vast Monroe or or wander through a leafy glen or look up at the cosmos at night and sheer vastness or down at the intricacies through a microscope. And there is greater joy there for the Christian than for any non-Christian. Their joy does not terminate upon the object, but rather reaches beyond to the one whose steadfast love it reveals. And so this means that as you study, if you're a student or, or, or you're working or studying, it gives value to your studies that as you delve further into looking at God's creation, you delve further into knowing more of his enduring love. Not just in the sciences, but in the arts, in the humanities as well. It means that in our work in creation, in all occupations from A to Z, where there's the ordering of life in administration down to the Z of a zookeeper or, or, or a zoologist looking at animals, we, we look at God's creation, we use it, we steward it, and through that we can know God's enduring love. For as we work in God's creation, or as we study the creation of God, we study and we experience his enduring love. His creation is not an isolated, unintentional event, but a deliberate act of love. I wonder if perhaps that changes our view of Monday morning tomorrow. And perhaps you're here and, and, and you don't believe in this God we are looking at. Let me say first off, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. And I don't know what you believe about life, but I'd love for you to tell me afterwards. But let me ask you a question. What do you think is the center of all of life, is the core of life, the prime reality of the universe. What, what is it? When I ask my friends this question, well, they say, well, actually, the universe mainly, mainly is just stuff. At its very center, the universe is simply stuff. And perhaps you might think that too as well, and I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. But you also have to acknowledge that means that you and I are also just stuff. Our relationships are just stuff. And so what is the purpose of life then if everything is just hydrocarbons, atoms, stuff? Well, if the universe is just a group of atoms lumped together, then it actually makes total sense that life is all about getting more stuff whether it's people or relationships. As one preacher says, says, it makes sense that life is all about get what you can, can what you get, and sit on the can. That's, that's the purpose. There's no other reason for life but that, if that's what life is about. And if life is just stuff, then our identity becomes about what we do have and what we don't have. Whether that is relationships with people, or whether it's possessions. And so that means that if that is how you look at life, then you will never 
be happy. Your life will always end up miserable. Yes, it might be happy now, but come when you lose those things, you'll be devastated. You're destined for a life of misery because you'll never have enough. And relationships always end. But if the very core of the universe is not stuff, but is this relational, personal, creator God, then I think everything makes a lot more sense. It means that we can lose possessions and we can be sad. It means that we can lose people and we can be devastated. But we are never completely demolished. Because if the universe at its very core is this personal God, then our fundamental identity is not based on getting more stuff, but it's about our relationship with this personal God, this God we read of in the Psalms. It means it gives richer meaning to our relationships. It gives perspective to our possessions. For we find that all the world's power and wealth can neither enhance nor ruin the Christian's deepest identity, happiness, and inheritance. Because our life becomes about knowing this personal God. And there we find our deepest identity, our deepest happiness, and our deepest inheritance. Give thanks to the Lord who reveals his love in what he has done in creation. And also in salvation. What we see in these verses is a summary of the salvation to God's ancient people. We see their rescue from Egypt, verses 10 to 16. And then through the wilderness to the promised land, 17 to 22. And both elements are important because they remind us that our salvation is not just from something, but also to something. And, and have a look down at the verses here. Notice that, that salvation described in these verses is all God's doing. That God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this right the way throughout. You see, God did it all. Their salvation is entirely by grace. But also notice in these verses that they're describing the might of the Lord in the action of salvation. That he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out with a strong arm, a strong hand, an outstretched arm. That he divided the sea in two. He shook off Pharaoh. He led people through the wilderness, struck down great kings, killed mighty kings, and gave their land as a heritage to Israel. Israel's salvation is an act entirely by God with his strength and might. For he's not just God of gods over creation, but he's also the Lord of lords. No other ruler can beat him. And as you read this shorthand account of the history of the Jewish people, as Christians, remember this is also our history. And their history is also a foretaste of what Christ would do for us in his life, death, and resurrection. If we also were slaves, not in Egypt, but slaves to sin, and Christ died in our place, freeing us from slavery. So now we follow him, and he has given his law to show us how to live as his people, and he leads us day by day through the wilderness of life, by the Holy Spirit, until he calls us into the new creation, which he has reclaimed not from kings of the earth, but from the evil one. And why does he do this? Well, because his love endures forever. His salvation towards the Israelites here and the salvation towards us is an act of his enduring love. And for those of us who've, who've read the story of Exodus, think back to what happens. 
or those of us who haven't, the people there were always grumbling. No matter what God did, they were a grumbling people and they were completely undeserved of his salvation, his love towards them. And I don't know how, how you felt this morning when you woke up, but this so often describes me grumbling, moaning, so undeserving of God's love. And as you read the book of Exodus, you see again and again that he meets every conceivable situation with a solution and he keeps on doing so. And the psalmists here are remembering this going, we worship this same God who did this in our history. And same for us as well. We worship this same God of the Exodus. This God of enduring love. Give thanks to the Lord for who he is. Give thanks to the Lord for what he's done. And finally, give thanks to the Lord who reveals his love in what he continues to do. Let me read for us these last few verses again. He remembered us in our lower state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Notice here the language changes at the psalm. Goes from remembering things in the past to what God is doing for them in the present. Remembering God's goodness towards them. He remembered us in our lower state. He freed us from our enemies. He gives food to all flesh. And as you read the psalm from start to finish, it's almost as if it builds up and up and up and up and up. And then we have this crescendo at the end in verse 26. How do they respond? Well, they just burst out, give thanks to the God of heaven. They recognize that God is good and he's of covenant love that he brought creation into being and he ordered it all. And it's the same love that brings his people out of slavery through the wilderness and into the promised land. So it's now as if in these verses at the end, he says, so we have confidence of this enduring love of the Lord, even in our times of tribulation. For we worship the same God of creation, the same God of salvation. Give thanks to this mighty God of heaven. So I think that's why we have this repeating phrase throughout The love of the Lord endures forever. The love of the Lord endures forever. The love of the Lord endures forever. Because like these people, we also are so prone to forget it. This also got me thinking as well. I wonder if you thought, why does a psalmist repeat the love of the Lord endures forever? Why love? Surely his power endures forever. His, His purity endures forever. His holiness, his righteousness. Surely they all also endure forever. But why does he mention love? Well, I think it's because God's love to us should be a complete surprise. Just look at human history. Just turn on the news every day and just examine our own hearts. Is it not amazing that God loves us? And yet, we are often so quick to forget it. I'm so quick to forget it. And we need reminded of it because when we forget the love of God, we forget who God is. For as we remind ourselves of how the God of the Bible has worked in the past, we remind ourselves that we worship the same God who has not changed, for his love is steadfast. His love endures forever. 
when I studied through in uh, Glasgow at Cornhill, one of my lecturers had a really helpful phrase for, for when we're reading the Bible. He said, now then, brothers and sisters, we are not David, but we worship David's God. If you read the Old Testament, we are not Moses, but we worship Moses' God. We're not any of their characters. We're not in their stories. We worship the same gods of those stories. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Yet I recognize as well that some of us may be going through a time where we don't think that's true. Where we don't recognize the enduring love of the Lord. Where we don't recognize his goodness. And that isn't something unusual, I don't think, for many Christians. And it's also not unusual for us to go through times when, when we're not really living seeking to live for God in every part of our lives. We don't recognize that he is the God of gods, but we don't recognize that he is the Lord of lords. I think take comfort that many of the saving acts of God were performed for his people when they were doubting, when they weren't sure. Take comfort that many of God's acts were performed to his people when they were hostile towards him, when they weren't following him. Perhaps if we're being tempted to doubt his goodness, to resist his lordship. How would you finish this sentence? I know that God is a God of enduring love because. How would you finish that sentence off? Well, we have a whole book, don't we, testifying that God is a God of love. We have his daily providences in our lives that he is a God of love. Think back to how you became a Christian and how he has kept you this far and how he will keep you to the end. I know that God is a God of enduring love because there's, of course, one ultimate reason we can know that God is a God of enduring love. And these guys sound pretty confident, don't they, in this psalm? They sound pretty confident. They know that God is a God of enduring love. Yet we have warrant to be even more confident because we know God's goodness towards us through Jesus Christ, his son. Romans 8 from verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who has raised life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. For you are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that God is a God of enduring love because I I can look out at creation. Because I know him in salvation. And ultimately, I know that God is a God of enduring love because he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me. And have a look at verse 26, at the end of this crescendo of praise. 
is the overflow of the heart, not simply to go give thanks to the great God of heaven. Not just with our lips, but with our whole life. For as we recount the acts of God, we see the love of God and our hearts are warm to him. As, as we see the acts of God, we see the God of gods, the Lord of lords who rules over us and we want to serve him. And as we come to a close, I want to think, what would it have meant for Jesus to sing this psalm? Well, Jesus is the leader of God's people, leading them in singing this psalm. I will lead them, lead my people into the reality of that which this psalm points towards. And I've come and I've left eternal glory to come in humanity's low estate. Verse 23, isn't that a comfort? Christ Jesus remembers us in our low estate. So that I may rescue my people from their foes, from their enemies. Verse 24, the enemies of Satan, sin and death by dying on a cross. I have come so that they may know even more my enduring love which lasts forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you for you, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are good. We praise you for you reign, for you are the God of gods, and you are the Lord of, lo- Lord of lords. We praise you for your love endures forever. And we know your love in creation, we know your love in salvation, and we know your love in your Son. Forgive us, we ask for times when we forget who you are, where we forget that you are good that you are love, that you reign. As we chew over and meditate upon what we've heard this morning, may you fill our hearts with love towards you as we dwell upon what you have done and how we have come to know you. Give us opportunities, we ask as well, this week to say something to somebody who does not yet know you about this love that we read of here. May we be a people who give thanks to you, the God of heaven, for your love endures forever. We ask these things, Father, in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.